According to a recent poll released by the American Psychological Association, 27% of adults reported that they regularly reach stress levels or just levels of their busyness in life. On any given day that they can find it difficult to function, they feel a desperate need to just shut down. They feel like they're running 100 miles an hour and the car is just going to fall apart. In that same study, 76% of adults reported anxiety or stress-induced regular symptoms like headaches, fatigue, depression, and sadness, sleep problems. You realize that? 76% of American adults reported regularly having anxiety or stress-reduced symptoms that they felt. But you don't need me to give you numbers like that. You know that from your own experience. You know the things that weigh on your heart, not just stress, busyness, but inflation, health concerns or worries for loved ones, crime rates, health concerns, divisive political climate, climate climate change, work stress. These are all significant causes of anxiety, according to this study, for both for, for people all around us, as well as, I'm sure, us. You work on real hours. You run around evening after evening to sports, to school events, to entertainment, to business groups, to vacations, and yes, even to church responsibilities. Your calendar is full, and your heart feels empty. Your mind at night is racing when your body wants nothing more than to slow down and turn off for a few hours. Amidst the unrelenting grind of busyness and anxiousness, Jesus is our peace. Let me say that again. Amidst the unrelenting grind of busyness and anxiousness, Jesus is our peace. Would you follow along as I read, beginning in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10? Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, 
and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? These are the words of the Lord. May He write, their, write these truths on our hearts. Two ways I want to navigate this passage and hopefully provide a bit of refreshment from God's Word for your busy, anxious hearts. The first way, in verses 38 to 42 of chapter 10, I want us to see how the words of Jesus are our peace when we are busy. The words of Jesus are our peace when we are busy. Although I must confess here right at the outset, Jesus is not a guru, a, 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 a personal productivity guru that will help you know to be able to get a handle on your schedule for maximum productivity. Now, Jesus, in fact, what this passage shows us is he loves you so much that he is willing to entirely disrupt your schedule and turn your world upside down. Where we enter this story, Jesus is doing the gracious, necessary work of correcting mistaken notions of what it means to follow him. Just previously, the passage before, last week, we heard in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the lawyer who thought that he could rely upon his own conceptions of what a good, moral, upstanding life would look like, and thinking these would earn him eternal life, he looks at Jesus and Jesus says, no, you can't justify yourself into the kingdom of God. You can't moralize yourself into the kingdom of God. Now he goes to those, he, he, we find him in Mary and Martha's home, and he says to us that you can't busy yourself into the kingdom of God. The story is rather straightforward. Jesus, who's this well-known teacher and miracle worker, earlier in Luke chapter 10, he has sent disciples ahead of himself to go and prepare villages and towns to tell them that Jesus is coming through. He needs a place to stay. He needs somewhere to eat. Would you open your home to him? And so Mary and Martha, they open their home to him. You can picture them hearing that the rabbi, who's, who's this supposed miracle worker and, and teacher who confounds the wisest of scholars, he's coming through and he's staying at our house. So you can Im imagine Martha with all of the excitement, inviting family and friends, hey, guess who's coming to our house? Guess who's going to be here for dinner at seven tonight? Don't you want to come over? Perhaps inviting 
all the people she can. Now, this is conjecture. We don't know that they invited a lot of people. We get the impression Martha's running around very busy while Mary's just sitting there talking to Jesus. But then something happens. Martha, as she's running around trying to get everything done, we read this, and at first we think Martha seems to be the more admirable figure, don't we? Mary's being lazy. You know the people in your life who don't carry their own weight amidst responsibilities that you carry at work or responsibilities in school or, dare I say, even in the home. You look at those who you share office space with or you look at those who you share home responsibilities with and you say, I wish they would do a little more around here. Amanda and I, just this week, we were talking about remembering group projects at school and how we both always hated doing group projects because you always find that one person who has to do everything while the others just coast. But I don't know, maybe it was the friends I hung out with. None of my friends coasted because they said they were listening to Jesus. They didn't pull a Martha. Look at how Luke presents this. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. You see that? She was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Keep in mind, pause real quick, keep in mind, in this day and age, hospitality was, showing hospitality to those who entered your home was, was, was incredibly important culturally. And so this is, this is a matter of cultural importance, significance, even offense. And so she says, hey, tell Mary to help me. But now look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Dear Christian, beware of the allure of doing good things, but not choosing the good portion. We so often cram our calendars full. And we look at our full calendars, our busy lives, as if they're some kind of sign of virtue or importance or self-worth. We would never say it out loud, but we feel like our significance can be measured by how busy we are, oftentimes. Perhaps you look and you say, I don't want to be so busy. I just have weight on my shoulders that's pushing down. Oh, busy, stressed, precious soul. Jesus offers you rest. But do you see how he offers this rest? found in listening to his words, receiving his words. Oftentimes life can feel like you're running on a hamster wheel, right? Going 100 miles an hour, but you feel like you are literally going nowhere. The idea of another Monday starting where you're going to run full speed, where you're going to have all sorts of burdens on you, and you're just going to feel like I don't know how to get off the hamster wheel. But you know what's fascinating about hamster wheels? Do you know that, the, that, that hamsters that are in their little cages and they run, apparently they run on their wheels more at night during the day. Do you know that the, the more active hamsters run up to five miles a night on their hamster wheel? Think how small hamster, that's a long way. At least it is in my book. 
Why do you think they do this? I think it's because it's what they were created to do. In the wild, you look out on little rodents like that, and they run wild. They just run. It's what they were created to do. It's how they live. But here's the difference between you and a hamster. You were not created to run yourself ragged. If you want to live, if you want to truly feel fulfilled, you need to do what you were created to do. It's not to run around like Martha, keeping busy, trying to justify yourself with your full calendar and, 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 your, and your feelings of importance and, 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 and greater uh, uh, self-worth. It's to stop and sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to Him and to enjoy unhurried relationship with your Lord and Creator. Now there's a danger in hearing this and receiving it as one more command of what you must do. So your day begins at 4.35, 5.36, I don't know, sometime early in the morning you say, okay, so I guess this means I need to add something else and get more time in God's Word there. And so you hear this as one more command. You have 10,000 commands weighing upon your life. You have right now on your phone 74 unread text messages, 493 unread emails, phone messages you need to return, and it seems all of them have demands or expectations for you. And so now Jesus comes in with one more demand, and he's telling you what? Calm down. And your response is, you calm down. How do you, you can't tell somebody, stop being stressed. And they're saying, you tell me to stop being stressed, just stresses me out more. Look at something interesting in this story. In verses 39 to 41, Jesus is referred to as Lord three times. She had a sister called Mary who what? Sat at the Lord's feet. Martha went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me to serve alone. Verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I think what's happening here is that we are seeing that Martha's totally missing it. She even refers to Jesus as Lord while totally not seeing her need to just sit at the feet of her Lord. And maybe that's the case for you as well. She was so busy serving that she did not see her Lord right before her, whereas her sister Mary gets it. Martha busies herself in serving. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to the Lord who not only can give her physical rest, but spiritual rest. You see, when we refuse to slow down, we are either trying to earn something or deny something. When we refuse to slow down, it's because somewhere, maybe it's in pleasing other people or meeting the expectations that others impose upon us or meeting the expectations that we impose upon ourselves. When we refuse to slow down, we say there's a standard that I must meet in order for myself to be justified, in order for myself to be approved in the eyes of either those outside of us or the person we see in the mirror. So we're either trying to earn something or we're trying to deny something. When we try to deny something, we fail to, we, we try to deny perhaps the reality that we need something outside of ourselves. So we try to work and work and work and work and work for the approval of others around us or for the approval of ourselves. 
And yet what our Lord shows us here is that our Lord gives us rest from trying to build up our resumes, from trying to build up our our importance in the eyes of those who we want to feel that we are important, from trying to make ourselves look impressive before others, and He just gives us Himself. You recognize that when our Lord said, it is finished on His cross, He said he was speaking of his atoning work, the work that would be needed to justify you and me before our God. Our Lord has completed all that would ever need to be done and credited to your account for your resume to perfectly measure up before the expectations of God your Father. And our Lord welcomes you to come and rest and be reminded of his finished work day by day, week by week, year by year in the fellowship of his grace. So perhaps, dear Christian, you do need to carefully examine the changes you need to make to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his word. Changes to your schedule. Where do you try to run too fast? Where do you try to give too much? Where do you need to pull back so that you can sit at Jesus' feet, hearing His Word day by day, Sundays, gathering with His people? Examine the changes you need to make to your schedule. We need to understand the necessity of, of gathering with the body weekly in worship. Understand the gift of not adding one more thing and gathering with other believers to get into God's Word together, but understanding the glass of refreshing, cool water that our souls need as we crawl through the desert. And yet our brothers and sisters, hopefully, in the Word of God, give us that cool, refreshing water. Now, a few points of application. Be careful of hearing this as a call to clear your schedule and nothing more. This isn't just go wipe out things that busy you and then just busy yourself by sitting on the couch, by streaming on TV or scrolling on your phone. It's possible to clear our schedules and still still not yet sit at Jesus' feet. And also, there's a word for those who perhaps you remember a day when you were a lot busier than you are now. You're at a stage of retirement or of Age where you just don't move as fast, or the schedule isn't as full, and you feel sense of insignificance or lack of importance. You miss being in the thick of it. May I encourage you that, you're, that though your schedule may be free, that this is an opportunity from our Lord to sit at His feet. To sit at His feet and hear from Him in His Word. Thankfully, Jesus' words are our peace. When he says it is finished, you may know that it is finished. And when he tells you that sitting and hearing from him is the good portion, you may know this. Now, what do we do not just with our busy schedules, but with our anxious and stressed and worried hearts? The words of Jesus are our peace when we are busy. And secondly, praying like Jesus is our comfort when we are anxious is in verses 1 to 13 of chapter 11. 
Do you realize the absolutely precious gift Jesus gives us here? I played basketball some growing up. I wasn't any good. But I maybe could have been better if I could have gotten some private lessons from Michael Jordan. I fancy myself a halfway decent golfer. But I imagine if I could get an hour with Tiger Woods and he could watch my swing, maybe he could help me clean up a little bit and I might would be a little better golfer. Maybe you gather with other Christians or you gather at church and you feel like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not like those other Christians. They seem to know their, better, their Bible better. They seem to pray better. And, and I just feel like I'm always tripping over my words and I just feel so uh, inept and incapable. Do you see what our Lord gives us here? Our Lord Jesus himself teaches us to pray. He tells us to sit under his word, receive the good portion, and then he teaches us the wonderful gift of how to pray. He doesn't say, hey, Stephen, or hey, disciples, you go teach them how to pray. No, he says here. Yes, they, did. they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he does. So if you've struggled to pray or if you've thought throughout your life, I've really never known how to pray, or I've always wondered, do my prayers just kind of bounce off the ceiling and come back down? And, and you say, I, I wish I could pray better. Receive this gift. Verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. This prayer has echoed throughout history. Yet with all of its familiarity, we risk losing an appropriate sense of understanding of this prayer. You know, if you say, okay, I'm a very basic beginner prayer. I don't know where to start. Here you go. The Lord said, when you pray, pray like this. You could even start just saying these words. Maybe that's how you pray for the next week. When you have opportunity, when you get up in the morning, or when you, before you go to bed at night, before a meal. Just as you pray throughout the day. It's a very short prayer. And so that's a good way to start. But secondly, this prayer also not only is a way that we can pray, but I think the Lord also intends it to give shape to our prayers. Sometimes you say, I see a lot of need in the world, but I don't know how to pray. How, do I, how, do, how, do, how does what the Lord is doing in the world fit with, or what the Lord says in His Word fit with what I see in the world, and how do I bring these together in prayer? Well, I think we can see the shape of the prayer. He begins by saying, by talking about the hallowing, the revering, the loving, the trusting of God's name, and for the coming of His kingdom. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That word hallowed, it sounds uh, uh, old-fashioned and, and, and religious. All it means is for the Lord's name to be revered, for the Lord's name to be treasured, for the Lord's name to be highly thought of, for the Lord himself to be adored and loved and his people to be glad in his grace. So when we pray, Lord, hallowed be your name, we're praying for his name to be glorified in us and through us and those around us. It's a regular prayer in my heart. Lord, would you hallow your name through First Baptist Church in situ? May the people of this community come to love you. May they come to treasure you. 
May they come to find their heart's deepest desires are satisfied in you. So we pray for his name to be hallowed. We pray for his kingdom to come. We also pray for uh, not only for the building up or, or, or for his kingdom come, not for the building up of our kingdoms. Sometimes, sometimes the kingdom of God comes by him lovingly exposing the emptiness of false kingdoms that we try to trust. And then he tells us ways to pray or how to pray for daily provision. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, this was different in his disciples' day. They did not have uh, uh, the ability to mass refrigerate, mass freeze food. They did not have mass uh, supermarkets where all, where, where all the groceries you would ever need were available for you. They were reliant on natural forces and go to the market each day and get your food. And they didn't have the economic advantages that we share. So we can praise God for the provision of food that we have. And we can also recognize the ways in which all sorts of things unfold in our lives that we are reliant upon God to guide and to have His hand on. So we pray for His hallowing His name, His kingdom coming. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Lord, would you transform my heart to being more and more and more captivated by the glory of Jesus and wanting my life to be aligned with His, not wanting you to align with my wishes for my life. Oftentimes, our prayers that feel like they just aren't going anywhere is because we're trying to take God places where He knows us and loves us enough that He won't let us go. So this praying for His kingdom to come, for His name to be hallowed, and for our lives to be submitted to Him, and for us to, to, to be forgiven our sins, and for Him to not lead us in temptation might mean a prayer for him to stop us when we're trying to walk down that road to temptation. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm stopped from something, it's not very joyful. It can be painful when you have to slam on the brakes to stop before disaster. But you're glad that, the, that you have those brakes. If I'm honest, one of the things that makes prayer difficult at times in my life as I can look back on things that I've prayed for, situations I walked through where God did not answer my prayers, how I so desperately prayed and wanted. Have you ever thought to yourself, worry? Things weighing me down? Yeah, I've got those. I'm not looking for more of those. But prayer and how to respond, yeah, I need to work on that. See, there's a difficulty of, of coming to grips with how God lovingly says no to us or reorients our prayers or finding our worth and our, our, our joy in the things of God that seem so small in comparison with all the things of this world that, that, that we would think look so great and of great importance to us. And so one way that the name of God is hallowed through us is by Him becoming our all-surpassing joy. So we pray, when we pray in line with this, when our hearts recognize that our lives are about the glory of His name and not our own, we turn Him from a God who we want to be our Amazon delivery driver to a God who Himself becomes that great treasure that we are grabbing hold of. So maybe the first place to pray would be, Lord, hallow Your name in my heart 
and lead me not into the temptation of thinking there are things out there that I desire, even good things, dreams that I yearn for that still have not come about. Lord, keep me from trusting those over you. So, our Lord has taught us how to pray. Now I want to give you two practical tips based on this. First, pray as if the promises of God are true, because they are. This week it was reported that the FDA has said that many popular nasal decongestants, did you guys see this? Many popular nasal decongestants have recently been proven to not actually relieve congestion. Some forms of Benadryl, Tylenol, other decongestants seem to work as they are not supposed to. Now, I'm not a medical expert, and I just kind of read a few paragraphs in haste. Any decisions like that, talk to your doctor. I'm not giving you medical advice. All those caveats. But what I do is I give you this illustration to say that we spend so much of our lives scurrying about to find solutions to the problems that weigh upon us, to the anxieties that burden our hearts, And so we think that we might find solutions in certain political outcomes or in seeking peace amidst the the, the pleasures uh, uh, that, that we sense that our hearts desire. We seek to build our own little refuges in the storm of life. We look here, there, and everywhere, but we find so much frustration, so much heartache, so much strife with others, and it can be understood as us thinking that, oh, this medicine, this thing that I'm seeking my rest in, is going to satisfy this cold that I have. And we take it and it does not do it. And what our Lord shows us is that we need to pray as if the promises of God are true. And he gives us a fascinating illustration. He gives us a fascinating illustration. Look at this, beginning in verse 5. He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. He asks that in a question. Who will say that? I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. See, this can be a, a, a puzzling illustration at the outset, on the surface, because we read it like, what does this say about God? I pray and God's already in bed and he's like, I don't want to come help you. You're on, you're on your own. You're like, yeah, that's kind of been my impression of God sometimes. That's what you feel perhaps. But no, that's not the point of the illustration. We're getting to in a moment seeing how we should understand God's heart towards us. I think the point of this illustration is, is found in what it says about how we should pray. That word impudence in verse 8, it's not a word we use often. Some people translate it persistence. I would say it's a combination of like persistence or shamelessness or audacity or conviction. So basically what it's saying here is just like you would go knock on the door of a neighbor. Once again, remember how hospitality was really important in their culture? And so this friend arrives at somebody's house late in the middle of the night and they say, I've got to have food to offer you, so I've got to go knock on the neighbor's door. So when you have something that, that, that you feel that you have nowhere else to turn, what Jesus is showing us is he's saying, go ask the Father and don't stop knocking. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed to ask the Lord of whatever your heart feels. Now, he's not saying this, go ask the Lord for a new Ferrari. 
He's not saying this, go ask the Lord for all your prayers, for all your problems to go away. Remember, he's taught us how to pray, Lord, hallowed be your name. Keep me from temptation. Forgive my sins. Provide my daily bread. But he's saying, don't be afraid to pray. So pray for his name to be hallowed. Pray for God to build a church in this community that radiates the glory of God in her love for him and in her love for one another. Pray that he would give you a heart and a deepening uh, desire and a deepening uh, wherewithal on how to be a part of that yourself. A deepening commitment to the body. Pray for him to grow you in humble gladness before his word, welcoming his transforming grace as he renews and washes over you by his word as you sit at the feet of Jesus. So pray as if the promises of God are true. And lastly, secondly, pray as if God the Father truly loves you. I'm convinced that a significant reason we pray so little, a significant reason we struggle in prayer is that we do not truly, deeply believe in our bones that our God and Father in heaven loves us. We say, I'm not going to burden him with my problems. Our conception of his love is dumbed down to what we feel he has done for us when it actually needs to be reoriented towards understanding all of His grace and goodness to us in light of what He has done in and through His Son. So we have been made sons and daughters of God by the work of Christ our Redeemer. And through Christ, we are welcomed into His presence as Christ has atoned for our sins. And one of the great and glorious doctrines of all of scripture is God's adoption of us if you are in Christ if you have repented of your sin and come to faith in Christ you are not just now a Christian a follower of Christ but you are an adopted son or daughter of God you're an heir of his kingdom you're a precious child of his I don't know about you, but my kids don't look at me and say, well, one of my kids doesn't talk yet, but the one that does doesn't look at me and say, Dad, I don't want to take too much of your time. He's never said that to me. Or Dad, I don't know that you want to hear about this. He's never said that to me, and I hope he never does. There's an old Roman story of a Roman emperor who came back after, conquer, uh, after great conquests and and, and advancing the Roman Empire. He's marching his troops through the streets along with a number of prisoners. Streets are lined with cheering people and, and soldiers are stationed on the edge of the street to keep people in place as the parade goes down the street. At one spot along the route was a platform where the empress and her family were sitting to watch the emperor go by amid all the acclaim. On that platform with his mother was a wee little lad, a, a wee little boy, the emperor's youngest son, so as the emperor's chariot came near, the little guy jumped off the platform, wriggled through the crowd, tried to dart between the legs of a soldier. When that soldier uh, grabbed the boy and scooped down and scooped him up in his arms, and he said, you can't do that, boy. Don't you know who was in that chariot? That's the emperor. You cannot run out to his chariot. And the little boy looked at the soldier and laughed in his face, and he said, he may be your emperor, but he is my father. 
It may be the God who has created all things. But He's your Father. And He delights to hear the requests and the desires of His children. Let us pray as if God the Father truly loves us. Let us look at our hearts when they are so stressed and so busy that we just want to shut down. And know that we have a Lord who invites us to come sit at His feet and find rest. And a Father who meets us with comfort and mercy. Let us, as we have anxieties that weigh upon us, as we have stresses that torment and taunt us, let us know that we have a Father who hears our prayers, who loves us enough that He sent His Son to die for us, that we may be made sons and daughters of His. Amidst the unrelenting grind of busyness and anxiousness, Jesus is our peace and our Father meets us with mercy.